It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Today, Rick is in part two of his series on What is the Church? Today's sermon is entitled, Dig Deep, Then Build Up. Turn to John chapter 17, verses 15 to 18. Let's join Rick now in his sermon. Here's Rick. A few years ago, when I was flying on Southwest Airlines, I read in the airline's magazine an article that was describing the inquisitiveness of children. The author mentioned that there had been research done with over a thousand mothers who had children between the ages of two and ten, and they were investigating how many questions does a child in that age group ask during their waking hours. Now, if you have parent, if you are a parent here this morning with kids in that age group, you know how it feels. It almost feels like you are being bombarded nonstop with questions, again, while they're awake. You're asked, why is water wet? You know, why is the sky blue? What are shadows made of? Why do I have to go to school? How do fish breathe underwater? I mean, it's just nonstop. <laughs> but how many questions do parents literally field from their kids every single day? Well, the research found out that on average, parents with children in that 2 to 10 uh, year age, uh, age range are asked a question every 2 minutes and 36 seconds. What the research also found, though, that I found fascinating is that four-year-old girls are the most inquisitive of all, asking a total of almost 390 questions per day. That works out to be one every one minute and 56 seconds. <laughs> but again, asking questions is just a natural, as a child's natural inquisitiveness. They're trying to put together life. Uh, they're learning how things work. They're trying to make sense of what their eyes see and what their ears are hearing. And so they ask questions. We all know that the constant repetition of the question from a three- or four-year-old, why, why, can be incredibly annoying. <laughs> um, but did you know that the repetition of that question can also be incredibly helpful at any age because it can force us to look at motives. It can force us to look at root issues that sometimes are not easily seen. Sakichi Toyota originally developed for the Toyota Motor Company something called the 5Y Technique. Many of you probably know what it is. His idea is that if you really want to understand the root of a problem, if you really want to uh, discover a person's core motivation, if you want to understand the true relationship between cause and effect in almost any situation, then like a young child, simply ask the question why at least five times. So, for example... Why did your car stop? Well, because it ran out of gas. Why did it run out of gas? Well, because I didn't buy any gas on my way to work this morning. 
Why didn't you buy any gas this morning? Well, because I didn't have any money on me. Why did you not have any money on you? Well, because I spent it all last night splurging on pizza for dinner. Why did you splurge on pizza last night? Well, because I'm not very good at budgeting my money when it comes to eating out. You see, the more you ask the question why, the more you, you drive down to get to bedrock about what's really going on. Now, asking why repeatedly can also be of significant help in understanding motives and root issues even for the followers of Jesus Christ. Consider how I used this one time with an individual a couple of years ago. I asked, why do you go to church? And the answer I got back was, well, because it's important to be there. So I asked, well, why is it important to be there? They said, because I want good teaching and worship. I continued, why do you want good teaching and worship? Because I want my children to be around good people and to learn Bible stories. Well, why do you want your children to be around good people and to learn the Bible? Because I want them to turn out well. Why do you want your children to turn out well? Because I don't want to be embarrassed as their parent. Now, you may not have answered those questions and gone down that line of, of understanding. But when we ask the question, why, repeatedly, we start to uncover in a person their motives, their desires, their values. And so asking why repeatedly is almost like taking a shovel and and digging past the loose gravel or topsoil in a person's life and getting down to the bedrock at their heart level. So you could ask all kinds of other questions of a follower of Christ. Why do you participate in some form of corporate Christianity? Why are you involved or why are you not involved in your local church? Why do you identify yourself with, the, with other followers of Jesus Christ? And when you start to, on subjects like that, ask why long enough, where do we end up? Well, there's all kinds of different possible answers. There are, they're going to be as, as, as varied as the individual we ask it of, but you could end up with, well, because I, I, I like the music in the worship service, or I like the programs that, that we have for kids and the students around here, or the people who come to this church are in my same socioeconomic group, and so I feel comfortable. Or the world out there is so crazy, I, and I feel safe here, or I, I feel like that's part of being a good person, so God will let me into heaven one day. Or I can use my gifts and talents and I can serve Jesus. Or I have friends here and, and I need their help. I need their support because my life is hard right now. Huh. Variety of answers when you keep asking the question why. Now last Sunday we started this sermon series on what is the church. And we began by examining the, the first expression of the church Uh, fresh out of the box in Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to verse 47. And if you were here last Sunday, you remember that one of the first things we noticed about the first century church was that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. At that point, it was oral. It was out of the mouth of the apostles into the heart of those early disciples. Now we have it written. 
So what does their written record of what Jesus said and did and the implications of that say to us about where we ought to end up if we keep asking the question why over and over again and dig down deep for bedrock? Where should we end up? Well, I find it fascinating that the New Testament authors consistently point to where the repeated question, why, should lead us. Let me just give you three. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Here's a third one for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12. We pray that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the bedrock motivation for every follower of Jesus Christ is to glorify him. What does that mean? I mean, that's great church vocabulary, but what does it mean to glorify our Savior and our Heavenly Father? Well, that's a good question. What is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is that in His character, in His visible image and works, our God is magnificent, He is great, and He is splendid. And so that glory of His is to leave people in awe of what he is like and what he is capable of doing. Someone has said maybe the simplest way to think about it is that the glory of God is his reputation. So to glorify God then is to influence someone's opinion about him so as to enhance his reputation in their eyes. In other words, everything we do should cause other people to more deeply admire our God. By looking at us, by watching us, his reputation grows in their eyes and it improves. Now just think of the stunning implications of that motive being there at the very bedrock of our hearts. And yet how many of us would have to admit that most of the time that's not the bedrock motivation. That if we really were pushed to ask and I mean to answer the question why honestly we're motivated to increase our reputation in the eyes of others. That really at the bedrock of our heart, we want to be pleased, we want to be served, we want convenience and we want security. But again, according to the scriptures, if in everything, if in everything I am to glorify God, then life is not about me, it's all about Him. Each day, the lingering question ought to be there for us. Will God's reputation in the eyes of others be enhanced by my choices, by my attitudes, by the conversation I'm having with them, by the way I spend my money? I mean, you just keep going on and on and on. 
And folks, that's why the mission statement of Rancho Baptist Church begins with the phrase, Our church exists to glorify God. Our motives. We want our goals, we want our decisions to be intimately linked to God being glorified. We want His reputation in this generation in our community to be enhanced by what we, as a body of believers, do. So dig down by repeatedly asking the question why of any follower of Jesus Christ. And eventually this is where we are to hit bedrock. Now, I find it, again, interesting that Jesus then wants us to take a further step. He wants us then to build on that bedrock. And that's why I invite you now to turn, if you would, to John and chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we have what is often called the Lord's high priestly prayer. That's not something that the writers of the New Testament ever said. That's something that the editors of your Bible have put in there. But it's not necessarily a bad description of of Jesus' words in John 17, because this is the last night before Jesus is killed by crucifixion. And in this chapter, it's basically a chapter of his prayer, as he prays for himself, as he prays for his 12 disciples, as he even, (coughs) in advance, prays for us. Now look at verse 1 with me, and then look at verse 4. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now jump down to verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In other words, ask Jesus the question, why, enough times, and you would hit bedrock that his driving desire was to glorify his heavenly Father. Now look at the astonishing thing he says about his disciples in verse 10. I am glorified in them. Don't you find that interesting or amazing that he would say that? Because that means that glorifying God, then, is not about having it all together or being a perfect person. Consider who he's talking about. His disciples glorified him. Again, think of the makeup of that that group of people. Many of them were woefully uneducated. Some of them had left embarrassing, corrupt businesses to follow Jesus. One was a violent political revolutionary. On top of that, even though they had been with Jesus as as part of his posse for about three years, they continued to be hard-hearted towards the needs of others. They were often selfish and arrogant. They repeatedly failed tests of faith that Jesus put in front of them. They were envious of competition. They were easily angered over inconvenience. And under pressure, at the end, they deserted Jesus. So how can Jesus say they glorified him? Because my friends, despite all of their weaknesses, all of their failures, they loved him. 
they followed him and they embraced his agenda. Isn't that good news for us? We are so, I don't know about you, it's all you need to turn it back on me. I am so like these guys. And yet I can still bring glory to my Father. I can bring glory to my Savior. Not in trying to look perfect or come across like I've got it all together, but instead by simply loving my Savior, following Him, and embracing His agenda. How do I do that? Well, we don't have time to do it this morning. Probably a great sermon series. But a study of the word glorify in the New Testament gives you seven different ways you can glorify Jesus. And this morning we're only going to look at one of them. That's all we have time for. And this is mentioned to us in John 17, starting at verse 15 down to verse 18, where glorifying our God is about cultivating a specific mindset. So let me read these verses. <clears throat> let me read these verses and see if you can identify ahead of time the three different aspects of the mindset that Jesus describes that he wants us to have that will glorify him. Follow along. I'll start in verse 15 and read down to verse 18. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Did you catch them? We glorify our Heavenly Father by the way we relate to the world that we live in. Look at the three phrases. You might want to take your pen or pencil and underline them. Verse 15, we are not out of the world. Verse 16, we are not of the world. Verse 18, we are sent into the world. Now notice, those first two begin with the word not. So Jesus is basically saying, reject this, reject that, but embrace this, the third one. So let's look at each of these three aspects of a God-glorifying mindset. The first, as I mentioned, is in verse 15. We are to reject the mindset of isolation. We are not out of the world. And yet this is becoming so often the default mentality of so many believers. In their eyes, the world is becoming so dangerous and so unnerving that they're choosing basically to pull back and to keep the world out there at arm's length. Now, we are naive if we don't recognize that the culture wars around us have a real nasty tone to them. We're naive if we don't see how bashing Christians is becoming media's favorite sports. And you're naive if you're not at least a little bit nervous for the safety of your children and the influences that are out there. And yet, when was the last time 
You thought carefully about Paul's warning in the other direction to us that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 9, when he says, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. You see what Jesus is saying back in John 17 and verse 15. We are to reject the mindset of isolation which would limit or restrict our associating with people of this world. Instead, as verse 15 goes on to say, we confidently trust that our Heavenly Father will protect us from evil, or in some of your translations it says from the evil one. Will He protect us? Yes. Are we trusting that? Hmm? Better check your mindset. Is it one of isolation? Second aspect of a God-glorifying mindset. Again, remember I said the first two have the word not in front of it, so the first two we are to reject. Look at verse 16. We are also to reject the mindset of assimilation. We are not of the world, (coughs) just as Jesus was not of the world. Now, see, that's going to the opposite extreme of isolation. It's realizing that even though we live here, we work here, we go to school here, we raise our families here, there is something drastically different about us. That when we trusted Jesus Christ, this world was suddenly no longer our home. We became aliens, we became exiles here. And our true home is waiting for us in heaven. So our lifestyle, now as followers of Jesus, with our choices we're making, with the attitudes that we have, with our behavior, is to be uniquely different than the rest of the world because no longer are we joining with them in chasing empty fantasies and worthless idols of our culture. In fact, Romans 12.2 encourages us about this when it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I love the way that the paraphrase, the message, puts it. It puts it this way. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. (laughs) Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. And so how does does Jesus pray for us here in John 17 that we would glorify God? Well, by first of all rejecting the, the, the posture of isolation and secondly rejecting the posture of assimilation with the world. Instead... There's a third aspect. Verse 18. We are to embrace the posture of penetration. We have been sent into the world. And notice, it's as you, Heavenly Father, have sent me into the world. In fact, it's important that this is so important to our Savior that he repeats this embracing of a penetration mindset even after his resurrection in John chapter 20 and verse 21. He repeats it and says, As the Father has sent me, 
I am sending you. Which means the followers of Jesus Christ are people who are on a mission. We have been given an agenda to fulfill in this generation. And in the same way in which the Father sent the Son to earth, so the Son sends His followers out into the world. Well, what's the mission we've been given? What does it mean to have this penetration mindset as a follower of His? Well, if we are sent in the same way as the Father sent the Son, then we are to continue the agenda that Jesus began. Well, what is that agenda? Well, let's allow Jesus to tell us himself. You're here in John. Just flip back left one book to the Gospel of Luke. He'll tell us what his agenda was in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Follow along. Let me read this for you. Starting at verse 16, and we'll read down to verse 21. And so Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, here's the agenda, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now look at those verses, verse 18 and 19. At first glance, they may look like an agenda for social justice or philanthropy. But to read the stories of Jesus that follow in the Gospel of Luke or in the other Gospels and to see the miracles that he performed is to see that his power to impact the physical was meant to show his power to impact the human hearts. If you can do one, then you can certainly do the other. And so the references here in Luke 4 to the literal physical poor the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed are also at the same time descriptions of the human hearts. And we live in a world where despite the outward appearance of so many, at the heart level, those we see every single day, many of them are living in heart poverty. They're enslaved in some way. They are blind in their heart. They're oppressed in their heart. And our mission is to continue the work that Jesus started. To see the good news proclaimed to to the poor of heart. Freedom to be offered to the prisoners in their of, of heart. Recovery for the sight of the blind and release for those under under oppression. And again, we don't 
go after this agenda believing that we can fix or change anybody. We can't. But we can introduce them to Jesus and also tell them what he's done for us. Because this is the kind of impact that Jesus Christ wants to have on the human heart. And he wants to continue that transforming work in the lives of people right in our generation, right in our community, right in our neighborhoods. And he wants us to be on mission to join him. This is the mindset of penetration we've been sent into the world. And that's why if you go and look at the fuller mission statement of Rancho Baptist Church that we're going to even be exploring in the coming weeks even more, it states this, Our church exists to glorify God. I've already mentioned that. How? By making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. We live in a world of broken people. People that Christ deeply cares about. People that, as we just celebrated with these communion elements, people that he was willing to go to the cross and die for. But people who will never experience his transforming power unless we're a part of that agenda to reach out to them. And that will not happen unless out of a desire to glorify God, we reject a posture of isolation, we reject a posture of assimilation, and instead embrace our Lord's mindset that will glorify Him the most of that mindset of penetration. And this is right where I hate having to study to preach every Sunday. Because I sat back after I looked at all of this and thought, okay, Rick. If someone kept boldly asking the question, why of you? What answer would they find at bedrock? My friends, if someone boldly kept asking the question, why of you? What mindset would they find? at your heart, better. Let's pray. Fathers, it's so easy for us, and we admit it, to use words like, we want to glorify you, but sometimes slip up in not getting to the practical side of what that means. It's easy for something like that to come off our lips. But sometimes we're not willing to let it then be shown in our lives. Father, forgive me for that. (coughs) Forgive all of us. But Father, we want to be a church that's about your agenda that you started and now you've given to us. Because we believe that will glorify you so often. in In each day. Father, would you practically help each one of us, myself included, to reject the posture of isolation or assimilation. And Father, to embrace anew, in a bold, courageous way, that posture and mindset of penetration with those with whom we live. It may be some in our own families, 
There may be some that are living right next door to us in our neighborhood that we've never really taken an opportunity to get to know. It could be that cashier at Starbucks. It could be those we work next to, those that are across the aisle in a different desk at school. Father, you've given us a sphere of influence for Christ's sake. May we be on agenda with you, I pray. May your Holy Spirit give us the bold, courageous, loving words to share Christ and to reach out into a world that you dearly love. Father, that's our prayers. We enter into 2018. And may that be part of the answer of why are we the church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.